The Prime Minister John Key has rated his recent trip to China as 10 out of 10. He received red carpet welcomes and meetings with four of China's most powerful leaders, including the new president and premier. So what did the 100-strong trade and diplomatic mission achieve? And how will New Zealand be able to leverage off the trip to ensure it has an ongoing and ever more lucrative relationship with China? From formal greetings on airport tarmacs to red carpet welcomes at the Great Hall of the People with a full military parade. The reception for the delegation was undoubtedly warm and very formal throughout the trip. I'm Liz Banash and in this insight I travel with New Zealand's trade and diplomacy mission to China. I ask how New Zealand business can ensure a long-term future with the world's fastest growing economy. John Key met first with the new Chinese president, Xi Jinping, at the Boao Economic Forum, ahead of the main delegation's arrival in China. I mean, what came out of the meeting is um, a genuine uh, belief, I think, on the Chinese side that we can even take this um, good relationship to even uh, a greater height. Uh, there was a commitment to want to see us uh, expanding our economic activity even faster. Uh, the President made it uh, clear that uh, Chinese consumers wanted and will be buying New Zealand uh, food products for a very long time into the future. In Guangzhou, the capital of China's most populous province, Guangdong, Mr. Key met the province's Communist Party secretary, Hu Chunhua. Mr. Hu is tipped as a future president of China. I mean, this is a very um, connected society. So, you know, they they talk to each other, they you know, they inform each other, um, and they work together. And so, it, it starts at the top with the president and filters its way down through the system. So, it was a, again a very positive meeting. The big focus of the trip was about getting face-to-face -face contact with China's government officials and business leaders. Mr. Key had several of his own ministers with him, heads of government departments, and captains of industry. It was the largest delegation yet sent to boost leverage off New Zealand's five-year-old free trade agreement with the economic giant. It was China's first such agreement with a developed country and one which links New Zealand produce and business with 1.3 billion people and an economy last year worth 8 trillion US dollars in gross domestic product. A former New Zealand ambassador to China, Tony Brown, now with the New Zealand China Institute, sums up the importance of such a mission. If you don't have a relationship, be it a personal level between people in the companies involved, if you don't have a relationship at the government level, then it's much, much harder to do business to get to the point where you're actually trying bringing together a, a deal. One of the visit's showpiece deal signings was a series of contracts between an Auckland animation company and several Chinese firms. Huhu Productions has four separate deals for productions and training, each contract worth multi-millions. The chief executive of Huhu Productions, Trevor Yaxley, has spent the last 10 years building relationships in China and has visited the country 61 times. You can't do business in China via email. You can't come once and expect to do business. You have to come time and time and time again. Chinese people do not do business with foreigners. They only do business with friends. So you have to become a friend. And you know you've become a friend when they don't take you out to dinner, 
but they invite you to their own home for a meal or they invite you away for a weekend with their family, you then know that you are really good friends. And out of that friendship has come very good business for us. Non-disclosure agreements mean Mr Yaxley can't give details on the exact worth of the deals, but he says they will create opportunities for other businesses in New Zealand, as his company won't be able to do it all alone. He describes a win-win scenario which combines New Zealanders' creativity with China's ready cash to fund new projects. Mr Yaxley says when New Zealand thinks big, it's actually minute in the China context. I was told, be careful in China. Uh, China Chinese people are very difficult to deal with. They are very uh, devious. Uh, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll steal everything off you at the drop of a hat. And we found that to be totally opposite. We have got wonderful friends here, here in China uh, with government officials, uh, with business people, and just with ordinary everyday people in the street. And we have never found anybody that has not been friendly, kind, considerate, incredibly hospitable. So uh, very different from what I was told. The Chinese environment to work in is not easy. It is difficult. You have to learn, you have to walk humbly and listen and be teachable. But if you are, they receive you so readily as you know, today. Obviously, we have the two biggest partners in China involved with us. During the visit, New Zealand and China announced a deal to ease business travel between the two countries. From July, New Zealand business people will be able to get three-year multiple entry visas, allowing them to stay for up to 30 days on any one visit. Chinese people on business to New Zealand will also have the same access and be able to stay even longer, up to 90 days in any 12-month period. And officials are also looking to follow Australia with a deal to convert New Zealand dollars directly into China's currency, the renminbi. There's not much doubt New Zealand will get there too, judging from the first-class treatment the delegation received in China, including Mr Key's meeting with China's new Premier, Li Keqiang, after a full state welcome at China's political hub. So here we are at the Great Hall of the People in Beijing, China. Tell me about this building. The Great Hall of the People is one of the ten buildings built in 1958 to commemorate the ten years of the founding of the People's Republic of China. It's right opposite Tiananmen Square. What's the building behind? It's to that? the west of Tiananmen Square. To the east you can see the National Museum, which uh, is in a very similar structure, and to the north you have the Forbidden City. The Forbidden City now is largely a museum. The China-New-Zealand bilateral relationship is in excellent shape, and it has proven to be a model of relations between China and the developed country. Together, we have created many firsts, including the first bilateral FTA between China and the Western economy. The Premier said to me when, uh, when the troops were marching past at the end that this is the welcome we afford to a real friend and um, it's a sign of the way we value uh, your visit here as in my visit to, uh, to Beijing. So it's deliberate, I think, that they do that. Um, it's, it's, I think, very nice of them and that was a you know, very grand ceremony. So why is the New Zealand-China link so strong? New Zealand last year marked 40 years of diplomatic relations with China and a New Zealand-China friendly society has been in existence for 60 years. At 
the National Museum of China in Beijing, the Kapahaka group accompanying the delegation, La Tumanoko, heralds the exchange of a traditional Māori feather cloak, a kakahu huruhuru. The New Zealand filmmaker Ramai Temiha Hayward presented the gift to Communist China's first leader, Mao Zedong, on behalf of the fifth Māori king, Koroki, in 1957. Today it is being passed back to New Zealand on loan to the National Museum Te Papa for display later in the year. China's most powerful woman, Vice Premier Liu Yandong, says at the time the cloak was presented, China was the subject of much suspicion from abroad. She says it represents the friendship between the two countries. Together we have created many firsts in the relations between China and the developed countries. Indeed, China and New Zealand are setting good examples for living together in peace and reaping mutual benefit, despite our different histories, cultures, social systems, and stages of development. The push on trade with China has grown from good to have to mission critical in the last few years following the signing of the free trade agreement in 2008 and hot on its heels, the global financial crisis. China is New Zealand's second biggest trading partner and the second biggest and fastest growing economy in the world. Henry Ackland is a New Zealander who has been working as a journalist in Beijing for the last five years, currently with a Xinhua news agency. He's noticed a big shift in attitude from New Zealand. China was not anywhere near as big on the New Zealand radar. The public were not really thinking about China, and so much has changed since then. I think that's remarkable, and that has a lot to do with how institutions like Asia New Zealand have really, before that, were really pushing for New Zealand uh, to get into Asia, to look at Asia more, and uh, what's happened is that's coincided with this increased trade, and now you have a lot more New Zealanders thinking uh, very seriously about China and Asia. One company which has been thinking about China and Asia for many years is Ansco Foods, now a multinational firm based in Christchurch. Its chairman is Sir Graham Harrison, who founded the company in 1985. Ansco has had an office in Taiwan for 22 years and exported the first shipload of sheep meat to China in 1985. Most meat sold to China last year, $412 million worth, has been New Zealand lamb. Sir Graham says last year China opened up to more beef imports and the opportunities are huge. In 2010 we only had $9 million of New Zealand exports. This year probably beef will be $90 million. I would say by uh, 2015 it'll be $250 million and it'll be a take-off. So uh, one... Uh, can see the potential for a 500 to a billion dollar trade in beef, following on from the sheep sector making up with sheep meat, which is $450 million probably this year. Uh, then there's casings, there's wool, uh, and there's lamb pelts. And if you add all that up, it's about a billion dollars back to the New Zealand sheep farmer out of China. But John Key says there are still issues to iron out for the meat sector. 
there are always technical parts. I mean, I was trying to say that you know, the FTA is an entree into a market, but once you get to that point, it's all of the other issues that um, are often behind the border scenes that you need to deal with. So, for instance, one of the issues we raised yesterday with the Premier was about um, the registration of New Zealand meat works, and that's for a, um, a registration process called AQSIQ. So, for instance, um, if until our plants are registered, that meat, I think, from that that particular plant can't come into China. So it's a very technical issue, but they're the sorts of things that they can really advocate for and make sure they're on our radar screen. Journalist Henry Ackland says companies like Ansco and Fonterra, which earns 10% of its revenue from China, do so well because they are so big. And small companies, no matter what sector they are in, need to work together. To get into China, the best way to do it is if you're a big company. Um, because you're not, you're not so likely to get stuck and it's not going to cost you so much, uh, little things. But if you're a small exporter, uh, it's, it's much more difficult because you know, your, your goods can get held up in customs and if they're held up in customs for three weeks or something like that, it can destroy any profits that you're going to make and, uh, and that they actually need to try and consolidate somehow um, whether it's being, you know, selling online or doing something that's actually going to help them. Uh, otherwise, it's just a really difficult market. So what other New Zealand businesses have potential to do well in China? Mark Lantain is Director of Research at the New Zealand Contemporary China Research Centre at Wellington's Victoria University. The sectors that I think uh, could stand to be more developed include services, uh, very specific services that includes financial, that includes media entertainment. There's been quite a bit of talk about uh, kind of expanding New Zealand media within China. There's a lot of enthusiasm on both sides and various forms of uh, consultation, both uh, economic, financial and business. I think right now there's still a lot of emphasis in the trade relationship on the raw materials, which has been very lucrative, but there still needs to be expansion into other areas. China's growing middle class means massive potential for education and tourism. The number of Chinese tourists travelling abroad is predicted to increase fivefold in the next five years. New Zealand can expect one million Chinese visitors a year by about 2018, and John Key says New Zealand needs to be prepared. Clearly there'd have to be extra capacity built. I mean, eventually you'd be talking about a lot of people coming into Auckland for a start-off as, as a starting position. So clearly you'd need more infrastructure, but I would have thought over time Auckland would welcome that, you know, with the building more hotels or the likes. Um, secondly, uh, you know, I think there's going to be a natural evolution of, of more travellers coming out of Asia. I mean, that's partly because Asians are starting to just travel a lot more. You've got point-to-point -point travel, so it's easier, and that, that tends to encourage people when they can get on a single flight. It's when they're routed through another destination like Australia that makes a bit trickier, so I think you will inevitably see more tourists coming. The trip resulted in inducements to encourage Chinese independent travellers. The chief executive of Tourism New Zealand, Kevin Bowler, says at the moment Chinese tourists usually stay about three days in the country. I think what's important is not just the number of arrivals, but the quality of the visitors that we attract. So at the moment, a large number of the visitors from China are actually coming to New Zealand as part of a holiday to Australia and New Zealand. What we're trying to do is encourage more just to come to New Zealand, spend seven to ten days and explore the country. And obviously that's a better experience for the visitor. But more importantly, it's also going to capture more value for New Zealand businesses. Out of the gate and off for a walk, 
went Harry McCleary from Donaldson's Dairy. Tertiary Education Minister Stephen Joyce launching the Chinese version of a classic New Zealand tale. Another slightly more challenging one for me because my Mandarin is not very good. Chu Dunnan, Tang Na Sen, Nai Lao Dienda, Chang Mao Mai Kerali, Shang Jie Chu Liao Da. Mr. Joyce was in Shanghai to promote New Zealand education. Chinese students make up more than a quarter of overseas students in New Zealand. The chief executive of Education New Zealand, Grant McPherson, says universities and polytechnics are already marketing in China. Auckland and Otago sell their medical schools, Victoria University its law faculty. But Mr McPherson says educators need to better understand how people in China choose an overseas education for their children. So being a bit more thoughtful and sophisticated in how they approach a market, uh, understanding what's happening in the market from the end user, the key influences in that market. And so if you think about China, there's, there are a lot of parties in the decision. You've got agents, you've got parents, you've got grandparents, you know, and the student is almost the last one to be asked what they want to do. So how do you work with each of those different influences to make sure that the message gets across that New Zealand's you know, a great place to come and learn? So what's the potential for businesses involved in educating Chinese students in New Zealand? If I look at China, at the moment we're at about 24,000. Uh, we have an undertaking over the next three years through the New Zealand Inc. strategies uh, to grow that at 20%. Uh, over those three years. Now, you know, that, that works out at, what's that, you know, about 5,000 additional students within three years. You, I think that's still light. I think there's still room for us to grow after that. In terms of total numbers, you know, it depends on how the, the institutions, the capacity within the institutions, and we believe there is capacity around New Zealand, you know, and we've got to utilise other parts, you know, a lot of our students come to Auckland, so we need to get them to other parts of the country because that's where a lot of capacity sits. The Nā Tūmanako Kapahaka group performed at almost every event held during the Delegations Week in China. The Māori Affairs Minister Peter Sharples says there's a cultural connection already. They're into their dynasties and their history and stuff and we're into our whakapapa and genealogy and stuff. So we have that common bond and it's really easy to, to deal with them. Dr Sharples says there's plenty of scope for Māori to do more business with China. See, we have the resources. We own a third of the forests, a third of the farms, a third of uh, the fish and stuff like this. So we have natural resources and um, we have uh, a lot of entrepreneurship. So put those two together and uh, it's good. In Shanghai, the Māori-owned dairy company Miraka signed a memorandum of understanding with Shanghai Pangshin's New Zealand Farms, otherwise known as the Crayfar Farms, for processing at Miraka's planned UHT processing plant. Also involved was the independent Māori trustee organisation, which works with owners of Māori land to maximise their economic potential. The current Māori trustee, Jamie Tutar, says there's potential for much more Māori business in China. 
At the moment, uh, many of our Māori-owned fishing companies are exporting product to China, uh, whether that be lobster, pawa or wet fish. Uh, but uh, the real opportunity lies within the forestry sector and, and some of the land-based um, activities. So there have been conversations to date, as I understand, around uh, softwood processing in New Zealand. And that's really a consequence of the fact that Māori own just over 40% of the uh, pre-1990 forest estate. And that's going to require capital moving forward into the future. Mr Tutar says Māori asset holders and businesses now need to get a deeper understanding of what China can offer in terms of investment or as a market for exports. I think we'll look to go to China uh, more often, but I think there's a lot of work to be done at home in terms of how we might bring more Māori enterprise and Māori asset holders together to have sufficient scale. Uh, but I think also prior to going to China, it's really having some strategic conversations around what segment of the market we want to operate in, uh, given the scale, and uh, thinking about where we might be better, best positioned um, to operate in that market. Number 8 Ventures invests in early-stage New Zealand technology companies and aims to grow them into successful international companies. Its founder and managing partner, Jenny Morrell, says she's interested in linkages with China that can benefit both countries. You know, it's, it's quite challenging to think of ourselves as this really, really small little thing and, you know, compared with China and they're huge. And, and how do you therefore have relationships with this gorilla or this giant? You know, it's, uh, it's difficult, but I, but I think it's possible. There's a lot of warmth in the relationship. I think there always has been a warmth in the, the Chinese leadership towards New Zealand, maybe even going back to Rewi Ali or, you know, all kinds of things. So, um, and it was, this was a very warm trip. Um, you know, you really felt that people liked us and... Uh, and wanted to do things together. So I think there are opportunities there, and I'm just going to spend a bit of time this year trying to work out how we can form connections that um, work together. Ms Morrell says the obvious question for a venture capital company like hers is, can it get money from China? And I think the answer is yes, you, you probably can. Uh, but I also personally feel a bit uncomfortable that, you know, these people are still quite poor. I think their average income is about 12.5% of the US and they have huge savings rates because they're saving for their old age and their and illness. So these poor people are saving so that we can spend their money, um, which I guess if we invest it well is okay. But I do sort of feel they're, they're probably at the moment funding a, a slightly more profligate lifestyle in New Zealand and maybe we should have a bit more savings of our own. The big emphasis on the mission was about building relationships as well as the show of top-level support for all the companies represented. Ms Morrell says trust is important for any business partnership. And I think it's easier for us to trust in New Zealand when we have a good legal system and courts to enforce contracts. I think in China, where you could probably not have that same confidence in the, the legal and the court system, even if you understood your documents, um, then you have to work harder on that trust. And it's, and it's closer to people still doing businesses and family businesses because there's trust or, or other controls. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's helpful. But going back to your point about the senior people, you know, one of the points that was made to us is you have to bring the senior people in your own company too and bring them regularly because that shows people that you care about setting up relationships. The New Zealand Inc. China strategy was launched last year with goals to build the two countries' relationship, grow science and technology, collaborations and investment and double two-way goods trade by 2015 to $20 billion. New Zealand is a minnow compared to China, so what's in it for the world's fastest-growing economy? 
Dr Mark Lantain says proving it can do business with large and small economies is one reason for China's interest in New Zealand. And there are diplomatic reasons too. China's interest in the South Pacific have grown quite a bit just over the past five years. Um, since uh, China has kind of identified the South Pacific as a major area of diplomatic interest, we are seeing China's presence expand in many parts of the region, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa. But at the same time, even though there's been talk about you know, potential competition between China, Australia, New Zealand over diplomatic and economic influence, I'm not seeing that pattern. What China is seeking to do, and its relationship with New Zealand is very important, is to better understand the region and look for ways to uh, cooperate with New Zealand in, uh, in the South Pacific, an area which China is still very new to. The mission also saw deals signed to boost education links, cooperation on food safety and science, and a new science and innovation councillor to be appointed to China. Rod McKenzie is a regional director for New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. He says it's now over to the delegation members to keep up the momentum. China is the top priority for, for, for government, for New Zealand trade and enterprise, for all aspects of government. So that's point number one. Uh, number two, this is just the beginning of the journey. So there will be plenty more for government to do. There will be plenty more for business to do and partnership with government. Uh, here in China, government does matter. Uh, government can, uh, can aid a lot uh, in doing business at a number of different levels. So uh, there is a lot more to be done. Don't think for a moment that this is, uh, this is, um, this is goal, goal achieved. You know, there's more to come, much more to come. There are 60 staff with NCT in China to help businesses wanting to work with the country, but he warns those wanting to do that need to put in a lot of effort to reap the rewards. One thing that I would say to any New Zealand business person contemplating China, having lived now here for a while, is that it's really not like any other market that you've ever, you've ever uh, gone to before. It's, it's more complex, it takes more time, uh, it takes more of your time than any other market I can think of in the world. So China is certainly a country where there is plenty of opportunity and enthusiasm from the Chinese for what New Zealand has to offer. But it does take a huge commitment from New Zealanders to do this. So uh, it is a market of opportunity, but it's also a market that could, could consume you. In the imposing halls of Beijing's Diaoyutai State Guesthouse, the delegation gathered for the first New Zealand-China Partnership Forum. China hosts its major events here and it's where a long line of foreign leaders have come to meet their Chinese counterparts. As the delegation wound up their visit, John Key reflected on its achievements. Well, I think it's a 10 out of 10. I mean, if you take a step back, as I said this morning when I was doing a debrief for our um, embassy staff, is if I wrote down on a piece of paper everything I wanted to achieve out of this trip and actually compared that with what's happened this week, um, it's been fantastic. I mean, they really have given us great access. They're totally committed to wanting to move the relationship on. There's been, I think, a real opportunity for us to renew sort of friendships and understandings with the new leadership team. And we've announced things which will make a difference here in terms of you know, extending visitor visas, all of those sorts of things, getting progress and some sticking points. So as a trip in terms of, if you're asking me about the China thing, pretty darn good. Delegates now have the job of following through, building relationships and convincing New Zealand producers, partners and businesses of the China potential. 
I'm Liz Bunnosh, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radioNZ.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented this program. It was produced by Sally Round, and the technical production was provided by Jeremy Veal.